Father, thank you very much for your word. As it is like a seed, open our hearts to the good news you have for us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Our scripture is fairly familiar to people who have some connection to church. Um, It's called the parable of the sower. I'm going to read it for you, uh, the version out of Luke. Luke 8, 4 through 15. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to others I speak in parables so that looking they may not perceive and listening they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe only for a while and in a time of testing fall away. And for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for that in the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart to bear fruit with patience. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for your word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. It is kind of rare when Jesus interprets a parable. That's not normal. Usually he gives the parables, and then he just will not explain what he's talking about. But here we get this rare moment when we finally figure out, oh, that's what he's talking about. And the meaning is fairly straightforward. Um, We have a summary from St. Augustine here. He says, work diligently the soil while you may. Break up your fallow with the plow. Cast away the stones from your field and dig out the thorns. Be unwilling to have a hard heart, such as makes the word of God no effect. Be unwilling to have a thin layer of soil in which the root of divine love can find no depth in which to enter. Be unwilling to choke the good seed by the cares and the lusts of this life when it is being scattered for your good. When God is the sower and we are the ground, we are called to work to be good ground. Be good ground. That's a short sermon. Good night, everybody. We really could stop there. I mean, sermons are not required to be a certain length. They can be short. They could be really long too, um, but they could be really short. And, and we really could just call it quits there and say, well, that, 
That makes sense. We gotta, we gotta become good ground, people. We got tough, we got tough soil in our hearts. We gotta break it up. We gotta move away the stones. We gotta pull the weeds, get to work. But we can't leave it there. Because as true as Augustine's words are, we have to keep looking at this parable. And one way to think about this is for those of you who have actually spent some time in soil, those of you who have actually sowed seed before know that it is not this simple. It is never this simple when you're growing something. I remember once um, I was trying to plant the perfect patch of peas. I had just the, I had the date staked out as to the, the right date. It was probably St. Patrick's Day. I usually sow them on St. Patrick's Day or Good Friday. And I was picking, I, I think I picked St. Patrick's Day, which is a little early, but the conditions were fine. We spent a lot of time on this soil, a lot of time. And the soil was perfect and loamy and just right. Not only that, but I had a friend of mine who's like beyond master gardener. Her name is Liz. She's like, she's the Avenger of gardening, okay? She's one of the greats of all time. She happened to be with me to help me plant the peas. Nothing could go wrong. Something went wrong. <laughs> so about a month later, this is way too long. I'm still looking for these peas to come up and they will not come up. I'm furious. And even worse is we have a little CSA at the time. And so people are expecting some food right around now. And I've got nothing to give them, nothing at all. And so I start looking around, I'm a little panicked, and I see this bizarre path of green going from our storage shed to the main barn, okay? And it's just a strange kind of, like literally like a path of green. And I go, and I go check it out, just assuming it was, it, it was weeds, and, and it crosses several paths, and, and, and even a road, it crosses a road, and I look, and sure enough, there's all these wonderful turnips in this path. Beautiful turnips. I got no peas over here that I worked really hard on. And these like, like spontaneous turnips out of nowhere. This is like against the laws of physics. You can't have turnips like this. And I started thinking about it and then I realized, oh yeah, someone had given us a donation of old random seed um, way, way back in the fall. And, and they had plopped them in our barn and I was transporting them into our storage area where the mice eventually got them and we had to get rid of them. Um, but as I was transporting them, one of them had a hole in it. And so through the hole, all these little turnip seeds were falling out and falling onto the ground. And they, they, they sprouted and they grew and there was delicious turnips all over the place. That, it, that summarizes my 20 years of gardening right there. That's, that's basically what it's like for me when I, when I get, so when I come to a parable like this and I, I look at what's going on here, I think it never works like that for me. It never works like that for me. Gardening is not like, you know, following the instructions on a box. You know, if you've ever had a gardening book, you know, it's always one thing to read it in the book and see, you know, somebody like Barbara Damrosch or Elliot Coleman saying one thing and then what's actually happening. And then gardening in Colorado is a whole nother story of all clay. 
We all know how horribly it can go, whether it's hail or reasons unknown, like my peas, whatever it is. Um, gardening is not as simple as what we have laid out in the parable. And neither is the life of faith. Neither is the Christian faith. As great as what Augustine is saying is, as much as it makes sense, very often we can find ourselves doing all the right things, giving up the right things for Lent, pulling up the weeds, being good boys and girls, and still finding that nothing is growing at all. Nothing is growing at all. We start to get discouraged. We start to get frustrated. We've sown carrots and somehow we got leeks and we feel like we've been duped. Eventually we come to a point of wanting to leave the parable, to leave it all, or at least to take it apart. We go through a period of a kind of disorientation. I think this happens to all of us. Uh, maybe one word you've heard for it is uh, the word deconstruction. We feel like we need to deconstruct our faith because something is off here, something is wrong. Um, it, it's interesting that the, the word deconstruction has become prominent because it started in literary circles, it's a literary criticism term, and now it's, it's, it's more widely accepted. And it has to do with folks who, who feel like they need to ask some pretty deep questions about their faith, but not just their faith, Christianity in general. Some things don't square up. Some things don't make sense. Doesn't always work like it says on the box. I'm not really going to try to speak for them and all the issues that come about. It would take a long time and I'm not sure we have the stamina. Um, but I do think it's an important experience. We've all had the experience of seeing something that is just plain wrong and it needs to be taken apart. And I do share a lot of the critiques that um, have come up for people who are trying to dismantle and, and rethink the faith. For instance, Christians really are too much in love with power. Um, we've aligned ourselves too closely to political parties and to certain candidates. You know, every other week we hear about a mega church pastor abusing his power, and it's usually his, abusing his power um, in order to get something he wants. That needs to be dismantled. That needs to be deconstructed. That needs to be taken apart. It may take a century to do so, um, but we have to make a beginning, and I'm not even sure we've done that. But something in the, in the conversation about disorientation or, or deconstruction that's often overlooked is that the resources for deconstruction, you know, the way that we go about it are actually found within our faith and even the Bible. Let's look back at the parable, for instance. Now, think about the people Jesus is talking to. These are not people who work in a cubicle. They don't work in an office. They're not flying airplanes or driving buses. What do they do? What's, what's the normal career, do you think, during this time? I can't hear it. My hearing is terrible. Farming? Yeah, it's probably farming. That's right. I think it's farming, too. So if they're farming, and he's telling a parable about farming, they're already kind of going to be there, right? In fact, there's probably somebody broadcasting as he's doing this. 
And so you could go one or two ways with the parable. You might say, this is, this is terrible gardening. This is terrible farming. Like, why is he even sowing in the weeds in the first place? Don't sow in weeds. That's pretty natural. Or you have a rocky area. Don't sow in the rocky area. What's the point of that? Well, one possibility is that in uh, the ancient Near East, one of the ways that they farmed was that they actually started with the seed and then they plowed. And this makes a lot of sense in an arid climate because if you're going to keep plowing and plowing and plowing, you're going to lose a ton of moisture. So conserve the moisture by plowing as little as possible. And that's exactly what this technique does. Uh, you, you sow first and then you plow everything. So it actually doesn't matter if you're plowing in the weeds. It doesn't matter if you're plowing in a path or on rocks. None of that matters because it'll all get plowed under anyway and it'll all be, the soil will all be fine. You might also wonder about the seed, the one that dries from lack of moisture. That is true, that happens. You know, last year uh, when I was planning, putting out my tomatoes, um, a few of them died because it was so hot in June. I don't know if you remember that, but it was blazing hot in June. And I had my transplants out there and a number of them withered. So that does happen. But you know what else happens is if you put a seed and it begins to take root, if it doesn't have enough moisture, the roots actually go down further and will make it stronger. It won't wither and die. It'll actually help it. Rocks? Rocks are an ancient native way of farming in an arid climate. They would use rocks as, as a kind of mulch around the plants to conserve moisture. Rocks can actually be really helpful. Now, you can see where I'm going, I think, with this. There's, there's even within the parable some room for questions, some room for maybe what we might call deconstruction. But you might object and you might say, wait a second, none of this is in Jesus' interpretation. Jesus gave us the interpretation of what this means and he's not saying anything of what I'm saying right now. And that's true. I'm not objecting to that. I'm just saying there's even more to it. I think what happened here is that Jesus gave the disciples the interpretation they needed for where they were at in their faith, which was very, very, very young. In fact, just this past week in youth group, um, I talked about this exact passage. And the interpretation I gave was the, essentially the same one Augustine gave. So it's a valid interpretation, for sure. But if Jesus' interpretation is the only right interpretation, then what do we need the parable for in the first place? Why do we even have parables? Why don't we just have these straightforward kind of interpretations? I think it's because of the nature of faith, the nature of Christianity. What we find is that we need to break down a few things, or we need to break down a number of things. And not only is scripture not our foe, but our scripture helps us in this process. Scripture is there to support us through it. But there's even a third interpretation I want to talk about that's right there in the parable, plain as day. The greatest way that this scripture helps us is in the harvest. Notice he talks about this harvest of the good soil, and he says that it produced a hundredfold. Now, think about that for a second. Literally, what is a hundredfold, right? It's like one seed. And then what do you get? How many seeds do you get? 
a hundred seeds. That's right. One seed to a hundred seeds. All right. So if you're planting wheat or barley or rye, you're going to get seven, 10 max, 10 seeds max. A hundred? Are you nuts? That's, that's, that's unbelievable. That's insane. Not, not only is it like way beyond what we could imagine, it also means that it doesn't matter that the other parts weren't productive. It doesn't matter that some seed was lost on the rocky area. It doesn't matter that some was choked by the thorns. All that matters is, I mean, we, we've got more than enough. We're fine. We, there's no unproductive part of this land at all. It's actually obscenely productive beyond what we can imagine. What does this mean? It mean, I think, it, I think what it means is this. Even though one, only one, one area of the field has receptivity, only one area has fertility, that's more than enough. And, and that area of the field is Christ. That particular area of the field is Jesus himself. Jesus was so receptive to the word from the Father that he brings a harvest from the Father that is enough for all. That's enough for you, it's enough for me. It's enough for me when I fall on rocky soil and I can't produce anything. Jesus' harvest is more than enough. It's enough for me when I'm on the rocky soil and I wither up. It's enough for me when a crow comes and takes my faith away and I feel like I have zero faith at all. I don't need to have it because Christ has more than enough faith for all of us. The parable shows us that a life of faith is is actually not a kind of natural development in a direction where you know, we progressively get smarter and smarter, and a little more cynical and a little more distant from the faith, where we sort of, we sort of know better you know, than, than our younger selves and those naive people who still actually believe in this stuff. It doesn't, say, it doesn't let us stay in this phase of, of disorientation or deconstruction and it doesn't actually move from deconstruction to a kind of enlightenment where we sort of know everything all of a sudden. Instead, what the parable shows us is that the life of faith finds us on a rocky road of disappointment and doubt, finds us in the thorns of anxiety and distraction, in absolutely, and then it comes along and it absolutely embarrasses us with gift, with surprise, with astonishment, with love and grace, unexpected. Like most things, it's like a John Prine song. And this particular John Prine song is the one called In Spite of Ourselves. Um, it's gotta be one of my favorites. The chorus goes like this. Uh, well, so the way the song goes is he's, it's, it's a husband and a wife singing to each other. And they're talking about just how messed up they are. They're just goofballs. You know, they don't make the right decisions. They don't do the right things. And then the chorus goes, in spite of ourselves, we'll end up sitting on a rainbow. In spite of ourselves, honey, we're the big door prize. We're gonna spite our noses right off of our faces. There won't be nothing but big old hearts dancing in our eyes. 
Now we see that the parable is not about the sower. It is a way that the sower breaks up the ground in our hearts. It is a way of protecting us from danger. And it is a kind of watering and weeding in our own souls that makes us, the parable itself, makes us into fertile soil, preparing us to receive the good word from the Father to follow Christ into his abundance. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, be the good sower of our hearts and plant the, the seed of grace in all of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.